Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. Now I'm going to ask you to go to your Bibles, take up your Bibles with you, and uh, or whatever you have your scripture on. You know, I'm, I wonder all the time, in the Old Testament, you know, if everybody brought the scroll. It must have been hard to carry the scroll. So it was always in the synagogue. There was a difference between the synagogue and the temple. The temple was where the sacrifices were offered. And the synagogue was where they worshipped. And so there were two different places. Today we are both in the synagogue and the temple. Because we have come to offer our sacrifices. And we have also come to worship God. So let's go to the book of Luke. Chapter 23, and our scripture reading was read beautifully for us by Sister Barrett. Verse 43 is the verse that we will look at today. And it says, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We stand beneath the cross and its shadow towers over us. May your blood from out your side fall gently on us drop by drop. Jesus, you are our Lord. You were crucified for us. Bring us back to Calvary today and make us whole. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to talk to you today on the subject, Paradise Restored. Words from a dying man can be very fearful, resentful, senile, and incoherent. But seldom are these words confident and coordinated. Napoleon Bonaparte, the famous French general, is reported to have said as he lay dying, I am dying before my time and my body is going to return to the earth. This is the state of the man we call Napoleon the Great. Then, on his deathbed, Voltaire, the noted French atheist and writer, he says, 
confided to his friend who was his doctor. He says, I have been abandoned by God and by man. I'll give you half of my fortune if you extend my life by six months. And interestingly, Voltaire was one of those atheists who said that in a couple years, the Bible would become obsolete. And history has proven him very wrong. Because after his death, the International Bible Society bought a house in which he lived and turned it into a Bible production center. George Washington, President of the United States, dying words are, I die hard but I'm not afraid to go. Bible scholars have painfully compiled the seven last words of Jesus or the seven last sayings of Jesus. These are his words as he hanged dying The first one, and of course these are groups of words that come together, but they call them the seven last words of Jesus. Says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then number two, today you will be with me in paradise. Number three, behold your son, behold your mother. Number four, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number five, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. Number seven, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And of course, after this was said, the Bible says, and he gave up the ghost and he died. These sayings are traditionally called word singular. Of salvation. According to Luke's gospel, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And they are traditionally called Dismas and Gestas. G I S M A S and G E S T A S. That's the name given to do these two thieves. And so 
these thieves died on the same day with Jesus. One of them supported Jesus' innocence and asked him, Master, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus replied, Today you will be with me in paradise. This text has been the subject of doctrinal differences among Christian groups because there was no comma present in the Greek when it was originally written. And so when the translators came to translate this verse, they translated it based upon their predisposition as it relates to their belief. And so, Catholics and most Protestants usually use a rendering of the text which reads like this. I invite you to listen very carefully to my intonation. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's how it is written in many of the translations. Now this rendering of the text assumes a direct voyage to heaven immediately following death by Jesus and the thief. Of course, you know that Jesus did not go to heaven the day after he uttered this word, nor the day after, nor the day after. And so, on the other hand, some Protestants believe in what we call the mortality of the soul. Not the immortality, but the mortality of the soul. And they have used a different rendering by just in inserting a comma. So, I say to you today, is the new understanding of the text. I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Just by the insertion of a comma makes a difference. This rendering is in keeping with the teaching of the Bible. At the resurrection, the saved will go to heaven. There was no one who went to heaven the day when Jesus made this statement. So in keeping with our, our belief, as Bible students, we believe very clearly that our understanding of the text 
is in keeping with the general understanding of scripture that there is no immortality of the human being. And so the two thieves and the cross here represents a microcosm of the whole human race after sin. A small sampling of the human race. Those who reject Christ and his author for salvation are on the left. Those who accept Christ's offer of salvation are on the, on the right. Those who reject are on the left. Those who accept are on the right. And of course, when you go through the teaching of the scripture, you will see that another imagery of a sheep is used for those who are saved on the right and those who are lost on the left. So here it is that the whole human race is represented at the cross in many ways. One, the human race is represented in the thieves on the cross. And the human race is also represented by Jesus Christ on the cross. The thief on the left rejected Jesus Christ and so he represents all those who have rejected the plan of salvation and the call to salvation. The thief on the right represents all of those who will be saved because they have simply accepted the offer of salvation by Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus represents us. His role, his posture, and his responsibility are different. He is the Lamb of God that is sacrificed for our sin. And as he does so, he does it willingly, cheerfully, joyfully, but not without pain or suffering. For the, the, the cost of our salvation is enormously expensive, but it is free to us. It is not cheap. Many times people think that things that are free are cheap. But in this case, what Jesus gives us costs God everything. And heaven was empty. And so Jesus here dying 
says, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The last words from the lips of Jesus as he died on the cross were confident, coherent, and well calculated. These words reflect a true understanding of God, of Jesus' true understanding of God and of mankind. With such understanding, Jesus responded confidently and caringly on the cross. And so the final words of Jesus from the cross offered eternal confidence and eternal relationship. There is the promise of forgiveness. There is the promise of heaven. There is the promise of family, the promise of God's watchfulness, the promise of reassurance and resolve, the promise of resurrection, and the promise of God's sovereign care throughout all eternity. And so, some, some, in summary here, we see that mankind has been blessed because by dying, God gives us everything. Calvary, the place of the skull in our understanding is a place of bitterness and sweetness. It's a place of grief, sadness, but it is also a place of joy. Oh yes, it is a place of rejection, but it is also a place of acceptance. It is a place of towering sorrow, but it is also a place of glad reunion. And so Jesus has been led up the trail that will lead to his death. Calvary has been called the place of curse and the place of blessing. It is a place of curse for Jesus. But it is a place of blessing for all mankind. It is at Calvary that we see the best of God and the worst of humanity. Jesus said to the dying thief, you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise is not in the Greek. And we have searched for it and we can't find it. It's not a Greek word. It is from a different language. But it is inserted here. It's a, it's, it's a Persian language. And paradise here 
signifies a garden, a vineyard, and also the place of blessing. It is, in the Persian dictionary, the garden of paradise is said to have been created by God out of light. And that the prophets and wise men ascends, ascend to paradise. That's what the Persians say. But I want to let them know that paradise is not only for prophets and priests. It is for sinners who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to watch with me in your mind's eye. As Adam and Eve sinned. And God came down and said to them. That you have to leave paradise. And so Adam placed his arms around his dear wife Eve. And said dear we have to go. We cannot stay in this place any longer. We, our behavior is incompatible with this environment. And so you have to go. Eve wept bitterly. And Adam dried her tears. With what? With banana leaves. But they both left paradise. And what was even more painful is that God put a security guard with a M16 rifle, a shotgun in the form of a flaming sword. And this, the, the angel never had to do anything. All he had to do was just to hold up the sword. And the flame from the sword would repel Adam and Eve. Couldn't enter paradise again. And then Jesus came down and said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, which shall bruise thy head, thy heel and I will crush his head. That's what the Greek says. I will crush his head. And so Adam and Eve lost paradise. They lost it. But God intended that they should go back to paradise. For paradise is our original home. And I'm glad that God has done everything for us to go back to paradise. To prepare 
paradise again has become the obsession of God and the hallmark of heaven. God said, whatever it takes, I'm going to bring you back to paradise. And that is why in the first word of Jesus from the cross, when you look at it, it says, Jesus said to the thief, you are forgiven. And last week, I talked to you from my heart about forgiveness. And I told you that you don't do anybody any favor when you forgive them thereof. You don't do anybody any favor. So don't come in your pump and self-righteousness behavior and said, you know, I had planned not to forgive you, but for your sake, I'm, I'm going to forgive It's not for my sake. It's more so for your sake. For sometimes we don't even remember the things that you have done to us. Well, you go to bed and you can't sleep. So Jesus created the scene here where he provides forgiveness. Yes. And so he forgives us so that we can go back to paradise once more. There are three things here about the cross that I want to share with you. and I don't want you to miss them. Number one. The cross is an illustration of the enormous power that is available to draw people to Jesus. And those of you who have not been drawn by the cross, you are drawn by something else. And anything else that draws you will draw you to destruction. The cross draws us so that we can be saved by Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 12 and verse 32, John says, talking about Jesus. And Jesus here, the direct words of Jesus here, for those of you who have the red letter edition, it says, and I, if I be lifted up, what will happen? I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will what? Draw all men unto me. I want you to understand here that when you serve, when you come to church, you're not drawn by the preacher. You're not drawn by the elder. You're not drawn by your friend. You must be drawn by Jesus. And so Christ lifted up on the cross is the Christ that draws people to himself. Jesus with boldness and, and, and great assertion and importance here outlines his mission 
cross. The cross is a summary. It's a summary. The cross is, is God's summary statement in the thesis of redemption. And so, the one who said, I am the light of the world. The one who said, I am the bread of life. The one who said, I am the door. The one who said, I am greater than Solomon. The one who said, in this place is one greater than the temple. Now he said to the dying thief, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The second thing I want you to learn about the cross is that the cross points to and provides access to the kingdom of God. The cross points to and provides access to the kingdom of God. If you are going to go in the kingdom of God, you must enter through the cross. You can't go anywhere else. And in Luke chapter 23, 42, 43, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come in unto your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. It is clear that this man knew that Jesus has the key for paradise. And only Jesus can let you in. You know, when I was growing up in my community, Sister Gray, there was a Chinese gentleman that used to come to my community on Monday night. And he had a Delco plant. And he would set up a lapata. And another Chinese man came. And as a little boy, he used to show show. That is how we say it. He used to show show. So he had his projector and he would set up. But there was a little gate around the back of the building. Where those of us who never had any money would crawl down and go through. And my mother would be looking for me and couldn't find me because I was gone to show. And one night when we were crawling through the fence to go in, those days we call it as we break in the fence. And so we went inside Never realizing that they had put a man there <laughs> to watch for those who were breaking in. And because we, we were breaking in, they caught us. Little boys, they caught us and brought us up to the main gate 
said they should go home. We went in illegally. And we came out unceremoniously. <laughs> but you know, you can't break in the kingdom of God. You, you, you have to have the past. That's right. Thank you for that word. You have to have the right document. And you cannot forge this document. This one is no backdoor deal. And listen to me, there is no middleman. And there is no bandulu that can go on. In order for you to go into the kingdom of God, you must go legitimately. All you have to do is to receive the blood of Jesus on your heart. So I said, Jesus, stamp me today. Stamp me today so that I will go with you in paradise. And so it is clear that this man knew that Jesus was the only one who could let him in. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. All of us who will be saved will be saved because Jesus has remembered us. And thank God, Jesus doesn't have to write down anything to remember it. Doesn't ever write down anything. So sometimes you write down things and you can't find it in it. And sometimes you leave it to memory and you can't remember it. But when it comes to Jesus, he has the keys to the kingdom. You know, the criminal on the cross was offered Present salvation. That's what he says. Today I say to you. Present salvation. The criminal on the cross was offered personal salvation. It is present and it is personal. No one can be saved in the kingdom of God based upon the merit of a friend or a relative. So your mother can't, your mother's righteousness can't help you. And your father's righteousness cannot help you. You must receive it from Jesus Christ personally. And I thank God today that he's, he's going to give me a new name. There's a new name. Written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh yes it's mine. Not for another. But mine. So salvation is personal. So when you come to church. And people up here. Treat you bad. And you go home and say you're not coming back. You're not hurting those people. You are hurting yourself. Because you have to have a 
personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen to me now. Don't let anybody rob you of that. So the thief not only had present salvation or personal salvation, he had pardon through salvation. So he was pardoned. And I, I imagine that that thief, knowing that he was going to die, was relaxed. He was reverent and he was ready. Ready. And I believe that he laid down his head symbolically on Jesus' breast and he went to sleep. Finally, final thing we're going to learn about the cross as I close is this. That the cross is the gateway or the opening to paradise. And so the history of the dying thief and the cross offers no encouragement to those who would differ repentance. You can't differ repentance. But Jesus says, today I say unto you, not tomorrow, today. But at the same time, the thief on the cross, the dying thief, offers encouragement to the fullest and the richest. To all who are sincerely desirous of being saved. Who can despair of finding mercy. When he sees a thief transported in a moment. From the cross to become a legitimate candidate for paradise. How can you despair in your present condition when you see a thief who has lost everything and was a criminal dying on the cross and at the last moment he was snatched from death to life. Think of your own situation. This same God who has done this can do it for all of us. And so, the lessons for us to learn from the experience of the thief on the cross, number one, it is never too late to surrender to God while we are alive. Never too late. Don't wait until the last minute. But it's never too late. The next lesson I want you to learn is that we are never too bad for God to save us. Never too bad. And some people have said, well, I, I, I've done it all. And I've reached a place now where not, 
Not even God can save me. But Jesus specializes in difficult situations. The final lesson I want you to learn from the thief on the cross is it is never too hard for God to bring us to paradise. Never. Paradise. That name of rest. Listen. Paradise. Appropriated in the great Bible as the home of the saved. Paradise is thus transferred by God himself to us. Paradise is the place where God is preparing for us. And I say to you today, let nothing rob you of your place in paradise. Whatever it takes, please secure your place in paradise. There is nothing more that God can do Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. As worshipers in this place today, where are you going? And where do you want to end up? What's your plan after you die? This is a question that would ask at a funeral. But I can't wait until you die to ask you the question. When you, when you die, or when you are dying, what is it that you want to hold on to? This man was dying. He was holding on to his remorse, to his sin. He was holding on to his fear and his suffering. But when he met Jesus, all of that receded and disappeared. And now he was dying. He was holding on to Jesus. What a joy. What a good story. What a wonderful story that a great sinner minutes before he dies dies in Jesus Christ. But there was another one. Represents all those who turn their backs on Jesus and walk away to eternal separation and destruction. I say to you today, hold on to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.